Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here at Belmede, and we're so glad you're here to worship with us. If you're a guest, we would love to meet you in the narthex on your way out, and we have a gift for you, and we want to say hello again to the people worshiping online with us. You are Belmede, you are a part of this church, and we're so glad that you're here. Today is the final Sunday of our series, Dream Big, and I have invited you to pray over the last three weeks, God, what is your dream for my life? And God, what is your dream for our church? Today, as Michael said, it's also the end of our, the culmination really of our Dream Big giving campaign. And so as you've heard, we're inviting you to fill out a pledge card, a commitment for the next year, and you're going to have a chance after the sermon to come forward and uh, give those over to God. Also, you may have seen uh, some of the kids touching the stars on the altar here. We invite you uh, at that time also to come forward and write down your prayers and your dreams for the church because we still want to see those dreams. Uh, As you may know, we have been following a book called The Big Picture, Seeing God's Dream for Your Life, written by two pastors, Javon and Nicole Caldwell Gross. And in this book, they've been following the story of Joseph, talking about these different dots, these experiences in his life that are seemingly disconnected, but God begins uh, to connect the dots and create this bigger picture for Joseph's life and God's divine purposes in the world. So if you haven't been here, don't fret. I'm gonna give you the quickest narrative synopsis I can of where we are today. When Joseph was 17, he was out working in the fields and God interrupted him with two different dreams. In these dreams, it seemed as if one day, Joseph's brothers and his parents would bow down before him. Now, this was not really something that would have been a reality for Joseph as someone who was sort of living a prescribed life, perhaps like some of us. He was going to grow up and get married and have kids and continue the family business of working the fields. And so we said, you know what? This was sort of a holy interruption. God broke in and said, Joseph, there's a different possibility for your life. Now, Joseph's brothers uh, already hated him, were jealous of him because he was their father's favorite. And so they began to plot against him. They planned to take his life. But then a little brother piped up and said, why don't we throw him in a well? And then they threw him in a well and they sat down and they ate their lunch. (laughs) And they decided, you know what? Let's pull him out of the well and let's sell him into slavery. And so Joseph is taken to Egypt where he works at Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a royal official in the court of Pharaoh, and Potiphar likes Joseph, so he elevates him to manage his household. But soon, Potiphar's wife makes advances at Joseph that he does not return, and so she gets angry and she frames him for assault. And so Joseph is thrown into prison underneath the house that he was previously managing for 10 years. Now, while he's in prison, he meets the chief wine steward and the chief baker that used to work in Pharaoh's palace. Pharaoh got mad and threw them into prison, and these two people begin to have dreams. And so we see not only is Joseph someone that God gives dreams to, he is someone who can interpret dreams. Now, the poor uh, baker did not get a favorable interpretation, 
But that wine steward was to be uh, reinstated in his position in Pharaoh's palace. And so when Joseph told him that, he said, please remember me. It isn't until two years later that Pharaoh has some dreams that nobody in his court can interpret. And the wine steward thinks, you know what? There was this Joseph guy that I met in prison. Bring him up here. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph. He cleans up. It tells us he shaved his face. (laughs) And he goes to stand in front of Pharaoh. And so here our text begins today. Pharaoh describes his dreams. I was standing next to the Nile when these big, healthy, fat cows came out of the water. (laughs) And then out of the water came these skinny, unhealthy cows. And all of a sudden, the skinny, unhealthy ones ate the big ones. (laughs) And then his second dream was sort of similar. There was this big, healthy grain growing up in the field, and then appeared this unhealthy grain, and the unhealthy grain ate the healthy grain. And Joseph says, you know what, don't worry, I understand, this is what's gonna happen. There'll be seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. So you need to come up with a plan to prepare. Now, Pharaoh begins to ask around, and it turns out Joseph has the best plan. And so he is elevated to second in command. Uh, The text actually says, only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you, Joseph. And so at 30 years old, 13 years after he had these dreams in a field, the dots really start to come together for Joseph. It says that all the world came to buy grain from Joseph, families from everywhere, and he was pretty much in charge of the food distribution program for the world. And so as we read, all of a sudden, his brothers are standing in front of him, and they do not recognize him. Joseph, of course, recognizes them, and we're told that he has a lot of mixed emotions in what follows. He steps out of the room and weeps. He comes back, and in multiple conversations with them, uh, he acts differently. He begins to scheme against them. He plots. He, He puts a silver cup in the bag of one of his brothers, Benjamin, and then sets him up to make it look like he stole it from the, from the house of Pharaoh. But here, where our text begins today, it's as if Joseph kind of has that final straw, that like last breath, you know, where you reach your tipping point. And I can just hear him finally saying, it's me, it's Joseph. Is my father alive? And you can imagine as the people that plotted against him and gave him what looked like this horrible life They were terrified. But Joseph's response was, come close to me. Don't be angry. Don't be disappointed. Come close to me and do not be distressed because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. There has been famine in the land for the next five years. There will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant of the earth. It's remarkable to me how Joseph chooses to frame his own narrative. 
He has these ups and downs, these highs and lows, but after 13 years of back and forth, he looks at the people who tried to kill him, who threw him in a well, who sold him into slavery, and says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And those two words all week have been grabbing my attention Have you had those but God moments in your life? Those moments where everything that you have been through had the capacity to destroy you but God. I wonder how many of us can look at our lives from the vantage point where we sit today and say, oh, but God. God was with me when I wept. God led me through that wilderness. God parted that Red Sea. God put that person on my path to co-produce my dreams. God gave me dreams when I thought I had nothing left to dream about. God shouldered my worries and my anxiety. God destroyed my debilitating self-doubt. I could not see how the dots would connect. I could not see how beauty would come from ashes. But God, God made a way out of Joseph's grueling circumstances and brought him to the place where God's dreams for him could be fulfilled. And so I know that somebody today is looking at something insurmountable in their life. I know that somebody is thinking, how will I get out of this pit or this prison? Here's what we have to say. But God. In the framing of his story, what Joseph saw, what he realized and what he named was that God's dream was bigger than him. He says God's purpose was to save lives. He says to to his brothers to even save a remnant of our family, to save your lives. And you know, sometimes when we are praying, God, what is your dream for my life? We don't know if our own selfish ambition or our ego get in the way of understanding the answer to that question. And so I love that our authors tell us that we can scrutinize our dreams with these three questions. One, is the dream big enough to create dependency? A dream from God places God at the center. And so it won't happen and it can't happen unless God brings it about. If you do not need God to accomplish the dream, then there's a high probability that that dream did not originate with God. Number two, does the dream ask me to compromise who I am? We see throughout Joseph's story, he's rewarded for his gifts and his character. He doesn't change his heritage or his lineage. He is who he is. He doesn't even hide his weeping. And so God will not ask you to be someone you are not. And the third question, is this dream centered around me or is it bigger than me? Can it reach beyond me? We do believe, and we should, that God gives us individual dreams. And a lot of the times, uh, our heart's desires align with God's divine purposes. 
And here we see that God's dream for Joseph did elevate him, but it wasn't just centered on his elevation. God strategically positioned Joseph to be a blessing for others. And today, church, that is what we are talking about, that God's dreams here in this church are bigger than me, they're bigger than you, they're bigger than any one of us on our own. And I believe it, that God has strategically positioned us on this corner of Davidson and Post to be a blessing to other people. That is why we exist. And I believe that each of you here are here for such a time as this, that you are strategically positioned to be a blessing for others. So I wanna tell you about these God-sized dreams, some that have, are already taking place and will continue to grow, and some that are for our future. In the summers of 2021 and 2022, we helped to host what we call the Hillwood Summer Pantry. When the pandemic hit and people were not able, uh, our partners here at HG Hill Middle School, families were not able to get to the school as, as access, wasn't as accessible to get to the school. We said, you know what, let's partner with not just the people in our church, but the entire community to serve as a hub where food would be distributed. And because of our existing partnership with HG Hill, HG Hill we were able to house all of the food here and have people from all over the community come to serve to distribute that food. Last summer, we continued this project. It wasn't housed at Belmead, but it was a community effort, and we gave out 75 tons of food. In 2020, when the pandemic hit and our neighbors who are struggling suffered even more, one Sunday school class, may have been one person, I'm not actually sure, the upper room came up with an idea to partner with the West Police Precinct. They said, you know what, why don't we collect all of the items here at the church take them to the police, let the police hold on to them, and then as they are forming relationships and they see need in the communities, they can hand out those items. And so they began this salt and light drive-through donation. Once a month, people from all over the community were coming and dropping off their items. The police told us themselves, actually to my face, you won't believe that this has lowered petty theft in Westmead. That is the kind of impact that it is having. Now, all across the city, there are more police precincts that are having these pantries and forming relationships in the neighborhoods. A few months ago, one of our Sunday school classes, the Triple uh, S Sunday school class said, you know what, I think it's time for a rebirth there are several uh, members of their class that are now at Harmony Assisted and Independent Living down on Highway 100. And they said, you know what? Instead of trying to get all those people to come to us, let's go to them. And so two weeks ago, they started a Sunday school class at Harmony on Highway 100, not just for the people from Belmead, but for anybody who wants to be a part of it. They, this morning, have now done their Sunday school class and they are joining us for worship and watching us online. They are a part of Belmead. Can we wave? Let's wave to them. They can probably see the choir there. Hey to our friends at Harmony. 
dreams, some that maybe had to die for something new to be born. In 2021, we said, you know what? We wanna be a church that's known for diversity, equity, and inclusivity, and that means a lot of different things. And so we pressed the gas pedal on completing that accessible entrance into the front of our sanctuary. As you have been dreaming and riding on stars, you've said, we want more stuff like that. We want to improve accessibility into our church, not just into our physical plant, but also into our ministries. You said, I want our dreams to consider the hard of hearing and the deaf when we talk about equity. In 2021, we said, you know what? We have an amazing three-star childcare facility as a part of our church, a ministry of our church, the Bell Mead Children's Center. And it is a wonderful outreach to the community, but we know that there are some people who can never afford that level of childcare and education. So we're gonna create the Belinda Butler Childcare Assistance Fund. Belinda Butler was a visionary of our church to help to get that center to where it is. And she had a vision for all children to be included at that center. As we were talking about that in a mission moment, one person pipes up and says, what about a Hillwood High School teen mom? What about a teen mom who wants to go on and finish her education and have a great place for her child to be? And so we welcomed this August our first teen mom and her child so that they continue, can continue to grow and we can help two generations of people. In 2021, we said we want to be a church that creates space for children with sensory integration disorders and other special sensory needs. And so let's create a visit with Santa. Last year, we welcomed 12 families to this low-lit, low-noise, very personal experience. One volunteer said, and you may have heard this, but it bears repeating. She said, I witnessed at that event a Santa who answered rapid-fire questions about Mrs. Claus's washing machine. <laughs> I witnessed a boy who hid in a tunnel until he felt safe enough to unzip the side and talked to Santa from across the room. And I witnessed a mother of a child in tears who embraced me on her way out and said, this is the first time he's ever seen Santa. Thank you, thank you, this means everything. Now, our next Sensory Santa is on December 3rd, and as Michael said, we are planning for our first ever Sensory Easter experience in 2023. And the truth is, church, the list of projects and dreams and ideas goes on. Toiletries for teens. <laughs> Room in the Inn. It is a gift to be a part of what God is doing. And if you noticed, each started with an individual or a group of individuals saying, what if, what if we had these dreams that were bigger than just the people in our church? What if they included the people in our neighborhood and the people in our city? And that is what it looks like to be a part of what God is doing in the world, to say there's a bigger purpose and I am just so grateful that I get to be a part of it. And so today, that is what we are asking you to invest in, this church and what God is doing through this church that is bigger than us. 
And that, too, is our final prayer. It's our final song of this series. God, build your church. Build your church. And we are just so grateful that we get to be a part of it. Amen.